Let's pray to kind of close that time. Jesus, we thank you that uh, we're able to come into your presence this morning, that we are made aware of your presence through worship, God. And we just pray that you will uh, you'll continue to help us worship you in spirit and truth, God. So we thank you for this time. We thank you uh, for your faithfulness and your goodness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm the youth pastor here at Stonebridge. I'm glad you are with us this morning. Before we get started, I have two additional announcements. They're going to be up there on the screen. Tomorrow at 6 p.m. is when registration opens up for one camp. So our summer camp that we do every year, it's a really important part of our church, uh, of our network of churches. Uh, it opens at 6 o'clock, like I said, 6 o'clock tomorrow night. And it's, this is for all students rising 7th grade, so they just finished 6th grade, and then if they just finished their senior year of high school before they go off to school, we do this camp every year. We'd love for your students to join us. You'll see that this is the, the website. You'll click on the registration tab, and it's pretty easy to follow from there. Uh, but just go ahead and register for that. Uh, you don't have to pay all at once. There's, there's, you've got to put a deposit down, and the rest of it kind of gives you a step-by-step on how you can do that. Secondly, one of the ways that we're able to keep camp low, keep it affordable, it's one of the cheapest camps around for a week-long camp, is the golf tournament. So every year in May, we do a fundraiser, this golf tournament, each year that helps keep costs low. It pays for a lot of things that we don't pass on to students, and then whatever's left over from that, we're able to scholarship other students who can't quite afford to go. And so we want to encourage you, one, sign up for the golf tournament. The registration's there. There's a link and also a QR code on that registration tab. You can sign up to play. It's May 10th at Governor's out in Ackworth. Uh, it's an it's a all day on that Monday. It's a good time there. Also, there's an opportunity to sponsor a hole. So if you have a business or you know of someone who has a business that will be willing to sponsor a hole, there's three different tiers of sponsorships. Um, and so we would love for you to partner with that. If you have any questions about either one of the, either camp registration or the golf tournament, uh, how you can participate in that. Just find me or Autumn or Emily after the service is over, and we'll give you the details on all of those. Okay, good? That's the last of the commercials this morning. Go ahead and uh, flip over to Matthew 25. We're going to look at verses 14 through 30. Before we get there, just a little background as to how we get to this place of looking at the parable of the talents, your, your Bible may say bags of gold, or kind of different translations for that, but we're looking at this parable of the talents. And as I was preparing, trying to figure out, these are the, these are the hardest messages for me to give because David's like, just do what you want. It's like, sweet, that's paralyzingly free. And I was praying about it, looking at it, trying to figure out what, what, what is it, what, what do I need, what is it that I want to share? What's in me that I feel like would be helpful for all of us? And really, the, every time we do that, it's, I can end up standing up here preaching to myself and hoping that there's something in it for you as well. And so the thing I've been digging into over the last six months or, six months or so, since October, is what is this idea of the kingdom of God being a future event like heaven but also available and present right now? What does it look like for it to be both and? Because it's, I, I don't believe that the kingdom of God is just the final destination. I believe it's along the path, and we get to experience a lot of it as we go. And so as I was thinking about and praying about the message for this morning, this parable came to mind. And um, so we're just going to dive in and look and see what it, what it has to say to us this morning. Again, Matthew 25 
14 through 30 is where we're going to be. My, again, my version says bag of gold. Yours may say something different. It may say talent. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. We're going to stop there for a minute. As you hear this story, we all know who, the, who makes the mistake here already. You've heard this parable before. We know it. We have the benefit of looking backwards and we study this. But if you were living in first century Palestine, two of these guys were irresponsible and one of them was really responsible with his money. See, the two guys that went out and put their money to work immediately in first century Palestine, they were irresponsible with the money. Because had they lost the five or the two bags of gold, they would have been held accountable to that. They would have had to pay for that with their master and probably with their life. If you're living in first century Palestine, you hear the story, you're going, oh, I feel bad for those two. But that other guy, he figured it out. Dig a hole, put it in the ground, cover it up, hide it from everybody. That's the responsible thing to do in first century Palestine. So much so that Hebrew rabbis, when they're giving advice on somebody giving you wealth to hold for them, they encourage you, bury it in the ground. Hide it so nobody knows where it is. And then even if somebody does discover it and finds it, because you were, you were responsible with it and you buried it, you're not guilty if it, if it gets stolen. So everybody listening to this story as Jesus starts to tell it here is thinking, two guys, really irresponsible, one guy did the right thing. One guy did what culturally, socially, the norm. This is the expectation. So he did along what everybody else would have done. Unfortunately for that guy, that's, Jesus came to change everything. And so this is what his master says. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought, other, brought the master, <clears throat> brought the other five, excuse me. He said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, see I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. That wasn't the expectation. And these guys, they hear that, they go, whoa, wait a second. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. I'm imagining these guys are sitting around hearing the story going, man, those two guys got really, really lucky. And then the man who received one bag, that's, this, is the guy. this is their guy. Right? He's the guy that we're looking at going, this is, this is what we would all do. Then the man who received one bag of gold, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See here what belongs to you. So what he's saying is, is Master, like, you're a hard guy. Like, you, you take what's not yours. You do things with it that, that you shouldn't do. And so I was scared. So I did the wise thing here. I made sure you're going to get back everything that you gave me. You're going to get all this money. This is a huge sum of money, right? This is one talent. One bag of gold is the equivalent to two years of a salary. 
So it's a huge amount of money. And I want to make sure that I'm not on the hook for this. So I'm going to bury it in the ground. I'm going to make sure that you get everything you, get, you had when you started. You're going to get all of that back. And his master says, you wicked and lazy servant. Not what they expected. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. It's a little sarcastic question. So you knew this about me and you still did that? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with a banker so that when I returned, I would receive back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside in the darkness where there will be gnashing, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is completely the opposite of what they would expect. We know the story. We've heard this parable. We know, we know who did the right thing and who did the wrong thing. But when you put yourself in first century Palestine and you hear these words and you hear this statement, you're thinking, this guy is crazy. Who would take that big of a risk with the unknown? The known is in the ground, dirt over it. I know where it's at. The unknown is put it to work and see what happens. Why would you ever take the risk of doing the unknown? That had to be the question that they're asking. And so much so that the third servant goes on this long kind of explanation of this is why I did it. This is what I know about you. Or I think I know about you. And so this is why I'm doing this. And he has the entire backing of the rabbis, the culture, and the society. He has the most proof for doing the right thing based on everything that he's experienced. But what I think Jesus is trying to emphasize here is that there's work to be done between my first encounter with you and the time that you come into my kingdom completely. And when I say work, I don't mean actions. I don't mean you're working for salvation. What I mean is that for a lot of us, we have lived off of that initial profession of faith however long ago, and we buried it in the ground, and we're just trying to survive to the end. We're going to make it. I grew up in a Southern Baptist home, and you know, if you go, grew up in a Southern Baptist church, you know you go to church Sunday morning, you go to church Sunday night, and then you got to hit up again on Wednesday night. And it's really, really boring if you get the business meeting night of those, right? The votes, and all, I had no idea what was going on. But my mom used to say all the time, or my brother and I would ask her, like, why are we going? Why are we doing this? Why Wednesday? The pastor just repeats what he said on Sunday because he doesn't even care about this thing. <laughs> and so we had this conversation all the time. My mom would say, well, here's what happens. We go to church on Sunday, both times, so that we can make it to Wednesday. And then we go on Wednesday so that we can make it to Sunday and then repeat on and on and on. That's how we survive in this Christian life. And, you know, I love my mom, but I think she's wrong. If we're just surviving to the end, we're like the guy that buried his gold in the ground. We hope we had the perseverance to make it to the end. And so we just kind of hold on to that one-time moment. But those other two guys are about the kingdom of God immediately then and now. And the work being done isn't about money. It isn't, this parable has nothing to do with money except for the words in it. It's about faith. These two guys had enough faith and enough trust in God to do what God called them to do, even though it was unknown. Even though that there was fear, they didn't care. 
where the other guy said, this is known, this is comfortable, this is acceptable even, so I'm going to live in this place. And what happens when we live in that place is we miss out on what God's called us to. We miss out on what he's leading us. And so we have this debate in our heads, maybe in our hearts. I don't know where the debate is, actually. But there's this debate where are we living in the kingdom of me or us, or are we living in the kingdom of God? Because societally and culturally, we're just like this other guy. We want to think that we're not, but a lot of times comfort, ease, and lack of conflict trump any type of trust or obedience that God may be calling us into. So the kingdom of me chooses the path of least resistance. And a lot of times it's good stuff, right? It's not necessarily sinful stuff. It's just easy stuff. It's just stuff that God has called us. It's just stuff that's kind of like, this is what everybody's doing. And I'm okay with this. And I'm comfortable with this. But God may be saying to us, I called you over here to do this. And this is hard. This is uncomfortable. And this is difficult for you. But this is better for you. We just got to make that choice, that conscious choice. And so we have to decide with societal expectations are going to trump kingdom of God living. Which one's going to win out in our life? And which one are we discipling people to? Because whether we want to believe this or not, all of us are discipling somebody towards something. We're either discipling them into deeper relationship with the Lord or we're discipling them further away from the Lord. One of the two. I don't think, I kind of look at things in the black and white. And so for me, it's easy to say it's one way or the other. The, a, a recent example, I have a seven-year-old, I have four boys, but I have a seven-year-old who's, he's, he's a lot, um, but he was telling me what he wants to be when he grows up. Two things. He wants to be, one was to be a pilot. So I asked him, why a pilot? He said, so I can go up really high, spinning around and make my brother sick. <laughs> and the other was, a, I want to be a waiter. I think you have to say server, and I don't think you can say waiter anymore. Server. But that was the two options he came up with. And so I talked to him. I said, think about being a pilot. I didn't even acknowledge the other one, right? So think about being a pilot for a minute. You get to go to all these cool places. You get to see all this cool stuff. You get to see every, the whole world. You're going to make plenty of money. You're going to be fine money-wise. Everything is going to be really cool, and I can hop on every now and then go see some cool places as well. I didn't even bring up the other one. I said, so let's look at being a pilot. He said, but dad, if I'm a waiter, I get to bring people food. And he wasn't trying to be spiritual, but it hit me really hard right there when he said it to me. It's a silly conversation that we were having, but it was the truth of the gospel of the kingdom where he said, people need food and I want to give it. And he wasn't thinking that way, but that's how I heard it, is that I, decided, I was immediately, I saw an opportunity, all right, here we go. Good grades at school, good, go to a, a good college, you get to be a pilot, you get to be, have money, you get to be safe, you get to be comfortable, and you get to do all the cool stuff you want to do. And I said, that is what I'm going to disciple him to in the moment, subconsciously. And so a seven-year-old was led to the kingdom of himself by his dad in that one moment. And it's societally, if you look at that, it's okay. We're all trained that way a little bit from birth. We're trained from the start, right? Good school, good grades, good college, good career, wife, kids, husband, whatever. 
kids, do the whole thing, and repeat and pass that on to your children. That's the societal norm. That's the thing that we're called. That's the thing that we do, especially as Americans. That's our job. That's our responsibility is to move into that place. But the kingdom of God is the opposite. Jesus comes not to, set, not to encourage us in what is culturally okay, but to move us into obedience and awareness of his presence in our life. The kingdom of the gospel is one that's active, it's moving, it's alive, and we have to believe that. We have to recognize that Jesus came to bring us life and bring it abundantly. That's John 10.10. 10. That's not a survive week-to-week mentality. That's a thrive-from-beginning-to-end mentality. Abundant life provided by God that's created for us. And secondly, abundant life is available right now. John's not referring to heaven when he says, I come to bring you life and bring it abundantly. He's talking about right here, right now. And abundant life to us is different than an abundant life to the Lord. Abundant life to us, we immediately think house, car, kids. No. Abundant life means an abundance of him. An abundance of relationship. An abundance of heaven on earth right now. That's what abundant life is. George Eldon Ladd, one of my favorite books. I just found it in October. I've read it a couple times now. The, King, the Gospel of the Kingdom. He says it way better than I do. This is what he says about the kingdom of God. The age to come belongs to the future, and yet the power of the age to come has entered into the present evil age. The kingdom of God belongs to the future, and yet the blessings of the kingdom of God have entered into the present age to deliver men from bondage to Satan and sin. Eternal life belongs to the kingdom of God to the age to come, but it too has entered into the present evil age that men may experience eternal life in the midst of death and decay. The kingdom of God is present and it's here. Now it's not in full. Another analogy he gives in this book, it's like buying a house. When we buy a house, we put a down payment on it. We still get to live in it. We don't own it, but we live in that house. We have opportunity. We have access to it. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Paul calls the Holy Spirit this, this down payment on our inheritance. He says, and, when, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We buy a house, we put a down payment on it, we get to live in it until we, and then eventually, hopefully, we own it. In this case, God said, I'll put the down payment on for you. Here's my son, here's the Holy Spirit as this down payment, and you don't, it doesn't cost you anything to have access to it. And so the kingdom of God is accessible and present and here, and it want, God wants us to have life and have it abundantly. But the question is, How? These are all, you hear this and you think, that's really nice philosophically, but I still got to get up and go to work tomorrow. I still got to pay the bills. I still have to feed my children. So what are you talking about? I'm talking about faith, and I'm talking about knowledge of God, not knowledge about God. John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
The kingdom of living in the kingdom of God requires knowledge of God, not about God. And the church for hundreds of years has done a really good job of teaching us about God. Discipling us about God. But I don't know that we've been, done a really good job of teaching people to know God intimately and personally and relationally. Because that's what it looks like to live in the kingdom. As I was looking at this, I was looking at what it means to be a disciple, right? This idea of discipleship is prominent throughout the scriptures. And there's, there's two Greek words for it. They're kind of interchangeable throughout scripture. But one of them grabbed me because it, it, it's, it's translated disciple a couple different places, but it's also translated as follow. That word is akalotheo. And it means to follow someone with the intent of doing what they're doing. And that's where Jesus calls the disciples that were fishing. That's what the word that's used there. To follow, it's the intent to follow someone and do what they're doing. And so what kind of got me thinking is that maybe discipleship has too much baggage around it for us. I was in a discipleship group when I first became a Christian with a couple of guys and we'd sit down and they would say, all right, what did you do wrong this week? And I had to list all the things. That took the hour right there. And then they said, well, did you read the scripture for this week? And I had to say, no, I didn't read the scripture. So then, I, then, then we had about a 30-minute session where they scolded me for not reading. And then we prayed for about two minutes about all the things I did wrong and how I didn't read the scripture. That was my discipleship group. Tons of fun. What I think maybe a better word for discipleship might be apprenticeship. Because being an apprentice is being entrusted, submitted, and obedient to a master in the hopes of becoming like that master. If you're an apprentice carpenter, you want to be like the master carpenter. And to do that, the master carpenter doesn't just send you to a job and say, hey, figure it out, do it. I'll come and check your work once a week, maybe before dinner. He says, come and follow me and do it the way that I do it. And he shows every part of that. But what it takes on the apprentice's side is to, is to submit and surrender and say, this is counter to what I feel like the world says to do, but I'm going to follow you instead and I'm going to submit to you and I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They were apprentices of Jesus. They followed him around and they did what he did and they tried to do everything the way he would do it. And the cool part about being an apprentice is, especially an apprentice of Jesus, you never become the master. So you don't have the responsibility. Your job is to only surrender and obey. That's all. And so as we're apprentices, we just walk in his presence, we stay in his presence, we do what he does, and we follow his leading. The third thing we do, so, so surrender, obedience, surrender, and three is awareness. So when you became an apprentice in the old days, the, what would happen is they would take you and you would go live with that family. You might be a six or seven-year-old boy and say, all right, you go live with the apprentice. And you lived in his, uh, with the master. And you lived in his house. You ate what he ate. You lived how he lived. And you did all the things he would do. You were completely brought into the family, immersed in what the family is, so that you can do everything that the master was doing. I don't think there's a better definition of what discipleship looks like. A few years ago, I was in Cameroon in Africa with David Scott, 
and Michael Mosley, and we're at this conference, and we're out in this place, and some of y'all have heard me tell this story. I probably told it a thousand times at this point, but I feel like it's relevant. We're there, and we're in this place, and there every morning, like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, you would wake up because it was a thousand degrees, but also because these ladies would be outside, and you'd hear them singing and praying in the morning as they're making breakfast for all of us at this conference. And this went on for three or four days, and I'm trying to figure out, they were always there. I don't know that they ever slept, ever. And they were just constantly serving and praying for us and worshiping for us to encounter God in this moment. And so finally, I asked the lady who was in charge of these five women and also the conference. Her name was Florence. I said, what, what is all that? That is so foreign to anything I've ever, I've ever witnessed. And she goes, oh, those are the people that I'm discipling. I said, okay, you got to explain this to me. She said, well, I shared the gospel with all five of these ladies, and then I invited them to live with us for a year. And these five ladies moved into her house. And for a year, they did everything that she did. They ate together. They worked together. They cleaned together. They ministered together. They worshiped together. All day, every day for a year, five ladies moving into this home where there's a husband and a wife and children, and it was really uncomfortable and difficult, and it was hard, but she said they moved all in. And so after a year, those five ladies would then go and share the gospel with five other ladies individually, and then they would invite them into their house, and you come do what I do and live how I live. And what happens is, is you get this disciple-making movement where people are coming to know Jesus relationally and intimately, not knowledge about him from the book. And that's great. This is not bad. The Bible is not bad. But it's telling us, it's pointing to a person in, in Jesus. And we're, we're, to, it's called, or we're called to meet him intimately. And we do that, again, surrender, obedience, and awareness. We can't ever obey until we surrender because we're always going to come at it with a better idea, a better option. Maybe you missed on this one, God. Let me help you out. I'm pretty smart. We can't come to it from a perspective of we know better and read out what's culturally acceptable today back into Scripture so it makes us feel good about things. The scripture, reading, seeing culture through the lens of the scripture and understanding that we're called to be outside of the culture and be risky, even irresponsible with the faith that we're given because we radically fall in love with Jesus. Or we can bury our gold in a, in a, in a hole and we can leave it there and hope we make it to the end. So we have a choice. Kingdom of me or kingdom of God. One is known, right? Kingdom of me, I know all the things I want. I know how I want to do everything. And I'm usually right. Just ask my wife. Kingdom of God, I don't know what the next step is. I just got to trust that he is good. He's a good father and he gives good gifts. But also, he knows the way he wants us to go. And I just got to keep stepping out in trust over and over. And it's scary and it's unknown and, and it's awesome at the same time. Because whichever kingdom we choose, there's, there's results to both of them. You choose the kingdom of me, it usually ends up in stress, anxiety, and worry, and depression. That pretty much describes the kingdom of me. Looking at the bank account, am I going to make the ends meet this week? Looking at my kids, and are they going to grow up to be what I think they should be? 
The kingdom of me is all about anxiety and stress. The kingdom of God is about peace, love, and joy. It doesn't say peace, love, and joy, but it doesn't say easy. I think that's the thing that we, we got. You accept Jesus, life becomes great. Not true. You accept Jesus, your life is great, but you still endure hardships because he does it for us. But as we are apprenticed to the master, we start becoming more and more like the master. And the cool thing is we never stop being an apprentice, whether we're 90 or whether we're two, doesn't matter, we're still an apprentice. And we have a responsibility to others to help show Jesus to them and apprentice them along the way. Come do what I do, come live how I live. But if I'm not submitted to him and obedient to him and aware of his presence, then I'll never be able to lead people into that place. And so the point of the parable is there's work to do between the first time Jesus came and the next time that he comes. And it's not salvation work. It's not about you having to earn your salvation, not at all. It's about God's given you the ability to lead other people into his presence if we'll, pick, if we'll choose the kingdom of God over the kingdom of me. So I'm going to close with this this morning. If you would go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads, I'm going to pray. For me, I think the number one thing that prevents us from stepping into the kingdom of God is fear. If I do this, what's he going to ask me to do? And we immediately go, oh, he's going to make me move to Africa. It's not true. He may ask you to do something harder than that. Like choose the kingdom of God in Marietta over the kingdom of me in Marietta. I think that's harder than moving across the world. So this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity, Bo, if you'll come back up. I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to kind of ask the Lord, what is the fear that's preventing me from being obedient and surrendering to you? What fear am I holding on to? What's, what's causing me to hold back? What's causing me to be scared and not fully stepping into this kingdom? We all have them. I'm scared I'm not going to have control of my life. I'll confess it. I'm scared that I won't get to make all the decisions in my life. I'm scared he's going to make me do something I don't want to do. But the question is, is it worth it to live in this place of abundant life with peace, love, and joy, or do I want to continue to live in stress and anxiety and depression? So I'm going to pray. If you're in one of those places where this is, this is what's holding me back, we're going to open up the front this morning for you to receive prayer. And just ask the Lord, where is it that I'm not submitted to you? Where is it that I'm scared? Where is it that I'm nervous? Where's the place where I am not cho actively choosing to live in your kingdom? Just come forward. There'll be someone up here to pray for you. And we just pray for freedom for everyone this morning. So Jesus, that's our prayer. Free us from the chains and the restrictions of ourselves. Free us, Lord, from thinking we got this figured out better than you do. Free us, God, from fear, from anxiety, Lord. Bring us into the place of your peace, your love, and your joy. Lead us, Lord, into your kingdom now that we can experience your presence and your kingdom here. We don't have to endure to the end. We can thrive all the way there. 
Lord, I pray for every person in this room that this morning they'll be able to leave something behind that's keeping them from deeper relationship with you, that they be able to drop that off. In Jesus' name, amen.